Millennials spend way too much time on their phone, though. Oh my god, I was texting my sister. <laughs> Welcome to the Messy Empire with Karen Prawl, where we prove to you that success is all about embracing the chaos and charging into the unknown. Welcome to the Messy Empire. This is AJ Guzman. I'm here with our host, Karen Prawl, and we are here with a guest today. My niece, Emily Davis. And Emily is the oldest daughter of my oldest sister, Carol, and she lives in Portland with her mom and dad, Tim, and her two younger sisters. Emily, you are a college graduate. Where did you go to college? Oregon State University. Where'd you start? Tulane University. Yes, and now you are how old? 23. And you are a barista? Yes. And you love it. Among other things. Yes. And we're going to talk today about how to communicate and have discussions with millennials because I find that I struggle. Uh, I become my parents, like the Geico commercial, of, well, they should work as hard as I did. And I have unreasonable expectations of understanding millennials. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, this is a pretty fun conversation. What we need to do at some point, though, is we need to bring a boomer onto the podcast because I think it's a lot harder to understand boomers than it is to understand millennials. I would agree. Ask my mother. She'll be really mad that you asked. Oh, I should. (laughs) Great idea, Emily, as usual. All right, let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, What we start with is this article that Karen found. I don't know if we introduced that in the episode. I'll I'll just introduce that now. It's from Inc.com. And it was the six ways to deal with millennials in the workplace. All right. Let's hear our responses. AJ and Emily, I'm going to read an article I found online from Inc.com. And it's going to explain about understanding millennials. So I'm going to read you each of the six topics. (laughs) And you're going to give me feedback if it's true or not. Because I am almost twice your age, Emily. I am twice your age. Yeah. <gasps> oh, okay. That is ridiculous. I am trying to get over my ageism because I've worked so hard my whole life and worked for 30 years. And I see these young little whippersnappers, and I am aging myself, that are coming and achieving success at a very high level. And so I'm trying to understand them better because they are the largest percentage of our workforce in our country at 35%. So that was a... Good lesson for me to understand. All right, Emily, what we don't understand about your age is that you grew up in the technology age. They don't remember life without it. True. So do you find that old people like me get frustrated with young people always being on technology? Yes, but I do too. Like I don't like when my friends are on their phones at dinner. Oh, that's manners. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's my parents. Good job. <laughs> Was that, would that be my sister? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, yeah, but definitely, like, it is frustrating. Like, when I worked at Apple, I would say, like, 60% of the calls I took for customer service were old people who were trying to figure out, like, their new iPad. And I would be like, press the home button. And I'm like, what's that? And then we would go from there. Well, I just want to teach everything. Someone... I want to teach our listeners something that I learned from a GoDaddy rep 15 years ago. And sometimes you can have a technology error and the code is ID10T. And what an ID10T is, it spells idiot. (laughs) 
And so, because it's hard to be on tech support and understand what they're doing at home. Yeah. So I always thought that must be so hard to give technical support <laughs> by the phone. Yeah. So she taught me the term, if we have an ID10T. That's so good. Isn't it so good? <laughs> okay. All right, number two. They probably know more about the world. They're going to protest, speaking up for their beliefs, and taking charge. Their lives have shown that the world is small and we share it. They know about issues facing Africa, South America, Asia, and Middle East. And they are very entrepreneurial who want to stay informed. I think that's accurate. Yeah. But it depends on the person, too. Like, I have friends who have no idea what's going on. I had a friend who didn't know who won the election in 2016. That was shocking. That's pretty that's pretty impressive. Like, yeah. I was you, like, you have to put an effort not you, to know. You have to try. Like, on that like, Yeah, it's a bubble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I also, like, I major in political science. Like, I spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff. So a lot of the people I hang out with are a lot more aware, aside from that one friend. So we were, like, towards the tail end. I don't know if yeah. you guys got it in school. Where, like, we were encouraged to get pen pals and, like, write yeah. to somebody in a different country. Mm-hmm. But, like... At that point, like, you could just IM with somebody in a real country in real time and not have to wait four weeks. Yeah. In to... first grade, I had an Australian pen pal. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. Yeah. You, you get on AIM and you could talk to people in, like, Canada in real time. It was like... Oh, see, AIM was, like, before me. AIM was technically before me, but I had enough <laughs> friends on it to where I knew what it was. Mm. I loved AIM. <laughs> <laughs> I had Google Chat. When I was in middle school, we did, like, Google Chat. We didn't have that. So, true to nature, I didn't know other people were on the internet, and I just thought you search for stuff and find things. Mm. I didn't know it was like a, there was a way to talk to other people. Yeah. We mostly used the internet, like my sisters and I, to play like dress up games online. And then when I got into like middle school, my friends were like, no, you can like chat with us on Google. Dress up games, cool math, yeah. uh, the bakery game. Yeah. yeah the that, bake the pie game. Yep. <laughs> that little robot you can ask questions to and he'll answer you. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ask Jeeves everything. Yes. Yep. Ask Jeeves. All right. Number three, they are highly influenced by the media. Their attention span is often shorter. Their concept of what it means to be happy may be different. They have to face reality and work hard, but you can address their listlessness, at least to some degree, by offering more captivating and meaningful work. It may keep them more interested as well as help bring new energy to your team. The media one, I would argue that millennials would be less influenced than older generations. No, they're more influenced. I know. I would. I disagree with that point. So I, I, I would agree with it if... Depending on what kind of media you include. Yeah. Because like, like, if you're including social media and like peer-to-peer media, mm-hmm. then for sure. Yeah. But I think like millennials have far and away access to way more sources than any generation ever has. Like a large majority of old people exclusively watch like Fox News or one other like source of information. Not, not in this household. No. <laughs> but like a lot of people do that. And so like, but millennials, like we had social media, like, like I remember I found out Osama bin Laden died on Twitter. Like, that was where I got that news that came in first. And then I was like, Mom, you got to turn on the TV because something happened. So Twitter is notifying someone to turn on the TV rather than, in my era, when you hear something, all you do is go turn on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. It was Twitter. Even now, I don't even go straight to, like, the TV. I'll go to... YouTube has a breaking news section. Yeah. I'll see if, like, Reddit has, like, a thread for it. I get, like, CNN news alerts, MSNBC... That kind of stuff. But yeah, I think it's like there's a broader range of sources. So I don't know if it's like, I would say more influenced by the media in terms of learning stuff, but but by more areas more, of media. More types of media, yeah. for sure. Okay. Yeah, there was also something in there with like millennials want to find purpose in their work. I think that's like for sure a mm-hmm. real thing. 
I think, um, like looking looking back, the most amount of times that I've gotten disengaged is when I'm thinking like, eh, none of this really matters. Like, we're, we're like something like, ah, oh, best yeah. case scenario, we sell a couple more houses. Like, and doesn't yeah. bother me. Um, but like when we have like a real purpose of like, okay, we're protecting people's jobs and we're helping people actually feed their family. That's something like, oh, okay, I can get behind that. So like, I, I, I do think that's a real, that's a real characteristic. Yeah, the term they used was meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree actually, because I was raised is you get a, you go to school, you go to college and you work for the same company for 50 years and get a good retirement pension plan and that's your life. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really matter what you did, but that it was secure. Yeah. That... And I think that's gone away in yeah. a massive way. I think that's why people want meaning too. Cause like I look at that, I'm like, by the time I'm old enough to use social security, it's going to be broke unless something happens to fix it currently. Like, I don't know if it was a widespread thing, but like when I was in high school, I was like literally like a coin flip away from being a vagabond for the rest of my life. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was legit close. I was, I was in high school and I was like, yeah. I don't care about any of that. I don't want a cool job. Like that sounds boring as hell. I want to go like yeah. live, live out of a van and see waterfalls every other day. I think millennials carry a hopelessness in the job market that no other generation has carried. What do you mean? Because like we grew up in the, like we started like older millennials particularly, but like started our lives after the recession, like our adult lives. And so that opportunity to like build well, to like reach a point where you're seeing a future where you can buy a house, where you can afford certain things, that wasn't a reality. And so as we continue to like keep low wages, to not pay people, you know, at a living wage in areas that are really expensive, like I don't see myself ever owning a house that the current point in Portland. You live in Portland now, mm -hmm. and that housing market has skyrocketed. My parents' house in the nine years we've lived there has doubled in value. They can sell Good it for, for twice what they paid for it, Good. which is awesome. But I like I live at home right. because I can't afford to live anywhere else. Right after college. Right. Yeah. That's and that's frustrating because your parents probably want you out of the house. Yeah. I, well, the, the they're other, like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my mom's like, please stay. My dad's like, you should leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I, what I used to explain even from my parents. My parents bought their house in 1969. <laughs> they paid $35,000 for it. And my dad was probably making around 30000 at that point. And he was a mid-level manager for Sears. That's why they moved out here. Is He worked at the Sears Tower. And nowadays, if you make $70,000, you'll spend three to four hundred. dollars Mm -hmm. Like it's so out of whack. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Joel and I don't ever buy expensive homes because I can't in good faith. Mm -hmm. My mom's rule was she'd never spend more on a car than she paid for her first house. Cause it just <laughs> didn't seem right. Yeah. That's fair. That's okay. okay. And she's like, how can I do that? And so she still has a 2004 Toyota Camry that Emily is now driving for a few weeks. So I don't spend a lot of money on houses, but it also allows me to be able to have more than one mm -hmm. because I just can't spend more than out of range of what I make. Yeah, that's fair. I just feel like there should be some alignment there of what affordability looks like. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that 100%. I looked it up because I was curious at like what the average price of a house was in like 1960 and it's the equivalent of like $98,000 today is the median like house price. And... That would have been in 1960, and today it's like $210,000 is the median house price. But, like, wages have 25% less value than they did in 1960. Right. Yeah. Like, we haven't raised the minimum wage in 10 years. I When I worked in Louisiana, it was seven twenty five an hour. <gasps> yeah. She went to school at Tulane first. I was going to say, how long ago was that? My first job was seven twenty five an hour. That was two years ago. Yeah. 
Yeah. So Illinois might be moving a little quicker than Indiana, yeah. but still. But only like 20, 21 states don't have their own minimum wage. Minimum wage. They yeah. just go by federal, which is seven twenty five an hour. And like seven states don't, they act, their minimum wage is actually lower than federal, but federal supersedes that, so they have to pay you more. Wow. But like when I went to Tulane, which is a really expensive private school, they were like, we have a huge wealth gap among our students. I wonder why. And I'm like, well, because you're paying your student workers minimum wage at a $70,000 a year school. Right. And I was there on scholarship and I was an RA and I had two jobs and it was still too expensive to like try and keep up. Yeah. Yeah. And same with your sister. Yeah. Hannah left Lehigh. She went to Lehigh on a rowing scholarship, full ride. Mm-hmm. And still couldn't keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. Because with all the time she has put into rowing... And she's not, she doesn't have time for a job, so she can't spend money to go out with her friends. And they all would be able to go do things that she couldn't do. Yeah. And it's, like, it's crazy. It's so expensive. In, like, 1950, they raised the minimum minimum wage in one go, 85%. Just, like, raised it, 85%. And since 1970, they raised it 67%. In... Yeah, in 40 in, years. In 50. 50 years. Oh, don't age me. <laughs> Damn like, you. Isn't that wild? Like, in one go, in, like... 30 seconds, they raise it 85%, and in the next 50 years, they raised it 67 Wow. Total. Well, okay, what year would you consider an older home? I don't really know years, but I would go off of, like, how environmentally friendly it is. Really? Yeah. Ah. Like, what's the lead? She's so from But, like, what's yeah. the lead certification on it? Like, yeah. you know. No, doesn't even exist. We're talking okay. Chicago area. Oh. What um, years? I don't know. I would say. Or newer. What would, like. When a newer home, I would say, like, post-2000. Okay. All right, that's good. But, like, based on, like, environmental standards, like, if I ever were to somehow get the money to purchase a home, I would look for something that's, like, 2010 or later because, like, the, the standards went up so much since then. I mean, FYI, plug for Ishki Hemp. You could build an entire house out of hemp, except for the metal. All right. <laughs> Number four. They may have less respect for traditional authority. 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Could could not care less about, like, random titles. Nope. Real, okay, so it says here, Many millennials are pegged as narcissistic, entitled, and arrogant. They're to, told by the older generations that they haven't earned the right to expect certain rewards, <laughs> whether it's respect, money, or autonomy. But in fact, they're learning on their own. They take initiative to think outside the box in the workplace, consider letting them try things their own way and even make mistakes. Well, obviously you have to let people make mistakes. Um, they'll turn and then if they make mistakes, they can learn from them and take a step back for then future guidance. I have very strong opinions on the authority thing. Cause I think it circles back around to the information. Cause I think like we no longer have to take like, I mean, you have to believe what we, people are telling you. Yeah. We kids we can go get more information elsewhere. And I think that's where like, you saw it with, like, social movements, like Black Lives Matter when that came out because people were like, oh, like, not all cops are good. They're not all out to protect everyone. But that information only came from social media and people being able to provide backstory to what, you know, mainstream media was, like, telling you until it became more mainstream to find background and yeah, provide that. Yeah, I like to fact check. Yeah, exactly. And so I think, like, that's kind of an example of, like, where that sort of I don't think it's like a lack of respect, but I think it's like a willingness to look elsewhere. To not believe what's right in front yeah. of you, maybe. But at the same time, like, I don't have that, like, automatic respect that I think older generations do. Like, I'm not going to automatically think someone's a good person just because they have a certain rank or title. 
Yeah, yeah. I, okay, I, so I, I think that is the fundamental yeah. difference. Like, I don't have a blind trust. Okay, so all. we were raised, mm-hmm. and I'm saying my I was born in '73. My about my in the '70s and before. You respect your elders. You respect titles. You respect like. I think that is a big difference. Is um, is th- yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and also with the rise of higher education, like you're taught to question things. You're taught to like learn things for yourself. And so when you have all this new access to different sources of information, you can pretty much find whatever you want outside of someone telling it to you. You can learn for yourself and you can build your own opinions on things. Like, you know, structurally, the country was not built to support everyone. And it doesn't. But, like, for a long time, people were like, oh, like, this is the greatest country in the world. But it's not for everybody who lives here. And that's the kind of thing where I think millennials have that ability to learn that for themselves and so we don't have that sort of automatic respect or, hmm. yeah. AJ? I err on the side of just respect in general. You do. But I, I would yeah. say like my peer group, like, yeah, 100%. It's everybody gets the same level of dif- disrespect until you've earned more. Um, and I, I'd say that's a pretty prevalent belief. And I'm not going to like treat people like disrespectfully. Like, no, I'm not, you don't. And I'm not going to be like openly rude or, no. you know, you know, unkind to someone because of that, but I'm not, I think it's like a trust thing almost more so than respect. Like I'm not going to automatically trust that this is what they're supposed to be doing and what they're telling me is true. See, and that's where I am different. I trust people until they prove me wrong. Mm. Yeah. I trust everybody until they, but that's it. what the millennials did. And then the boomers ruined the economy. So we were oh like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> do. All right. All right. Their life goals may not align with yours and that's okay. So, Many of today's young people are spending their 20s and 30s traveling the world, going to happy hours, and posting on Instagram. Uh, They're getting married and starting families later, if at all. They want freedom in the workplace and in their lives. So I love Europe. I love the European model of siesta and taking, and the work hours are like 30 to 40 hours. But everybody knows I work like 60 to 70 hours a week. And so while I say that I would love that lifestyle, I don't know that I have it in me to be that way. And I get jealous of people who can have that work-life balance because I just don't know intrinsically if it's in me. So the life goals, um, we were, like I said before, always told is you go to work or you go to school, you get married, you buy a house, you have babies, you live and you retire together whittling spoons out on your front porch. And now everybody's life goals are different and I feel like everybody's way more accepting of life goals. Yeah. Well, and just like the feasibility of that, you know, two kids, you know, white pick offense, move to Florida when you're 65. It's not the reality for a lot of young people now anyway. So might as well find out. Who told you that it isn't though? Or how do you know that? I mean, just this, like the state of the economy, the fact that we make so much less money, the fact that we can't put away wealth, the fact that everything costs more. Like your school loans. My school loans. Like college went up like 200 something percent since like 1970. And we already talked about wages. Like, that hasn't changed. Like, I went to school four years. I have 25 grand in loans. That's actually not that bad. But you but have a scholarship. Also, and I also owe my parents 10 because yeah. they helped me out because I went to summer school two terms to try and finish on time. Right. Yeah. And you were and on, was, on yeah. scholarship. And I was an RA. And I had I worked all through college. I had multiple jobs at certain points. And even, like, right now, like, I live at home. I'm a personal assistant. I'm a nanny. And I'm a barista. And with, a, with a political science degree. With, well, yeah, with a college degree. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but it's hard. And, like, entry-level jobs are really hard to get into because they say entry-level, but they want, you know, three to five years' experience. It's exhausting. Like, it's really sad, look, like, browsing jobs and stuff and looking for that. And, you know, my parents kind of are still of that mentality. They're like, no, just go in, like, talk to Do it to anyway. Them. Just walk That's in. Me. Yeah. yeah. I, I, hold that. I would say oh, the same but thing. But people post. They're like, do not come to our office, you weirdos. <laughs> like, please stop showing up here. Yeah. Like, but I was HR managers raised. don't know what to do if you call. They're like, yeah. um, um, we, we have a form. I can send you the oh, link. Yeah. Most jobs say, like, no phone calls. I do know. not come to the office. And so that old mentality of, like, just go in. If they like you, they'll hire you. It's not realistic. Really? Because yeah. I would do the same thing. Who cares about qualification? Just go apply anyway. I would rather hire someone who but I've done that. is highly committed and under... I mean, we've hired people that have had no experience in the role and we train them. Mm-hmm. And some people are still willing to do that. But I think like a lot of places, like it's not that I've not applied for real like career-driven jobs. Right. It's that I haven't found any that I'm qualified for. And even ones that I'm kind of qualified for, I'll apply for. And you don't hear back or they'll say no thank you. And do so, you know the best way to get their attention? Go to their office? No, not stalk them. FedEx your resume. No, that's people good. always statistically proven people will hang on to a FedEx envelope seven times longer than anything else. So but what about jobs that are like online, remote jobs that don't have provided a hard address? Well, I would go find stalk them. And I would find the address and <laughs> like I would still find it. When I applied it. to Apple, I never met a single person I worked with in person. She, never yeah, had any really? contact. Okay, never tell, had any contact. It was all tell over experience. the phone and the computer. Yeah, what was that like? So I applied. They do a college program, so it's designed for students who are at school. Um, and the reason I applied for it is because it was the only thing offering more money than minimum wage in the area that I lived. Because I lived in Corvallis, Oregon, which is hour and a half south. Not a big town. Mostly college kids. Um and yeah so i applied to them i had my interview over the phone and then i had a skype interview and then they said i was hired and they shipped me a bunch of stuff and i i set up a computer i like skyped my boss he confirmed everything was set up but like they have they have different regulations because they're like a big corporation so they have certain things like your workspace has to be meet certain like ergonomic standards to make sure that they're not liable for any injuries and so like no one ever can check that, but I have to take photos of my workspace in my house and send them to HR at Apple, and they, like, look at it and confirm. But I never once had an in-person meeting with anyone that worked there the whole time. And they time. paid you electronically, obviously. Yep, it was all direct deposit. Um, but, like, I applied online. Like, I was never given a hard contact address because my supervisor and his supervisor all worked from home. Like, yeah. And we're not giving out private addresses other than to right. receive our computers and things. So, like, I couldn't have mailed a resume. There was nowhere to mail it to other than, like, one Apple loop in San Francisco. And they'd be like, what is this? And yeah. go goes in the trash. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's very different. And, like, when you can't do those traditional routes, and when people don't want you to do those traditional routes, it's, like, it is harder. So, working in, at home, how productive were you when you were working? Pretty productive because Apple had, like, certain standards that you had how, to meet. How did they measure it? I'm curious. So everything you do, you put yourself into a different, um, like, aux auxiliary state. And so I would say, like, if I am going on a break for, you know, my standardized, like, 30-minute lunch break, I would go to my lunch break. If I need, like, a personal break, like, to go to the bathroom or to just, like, take five minutes and stretch, I would go to personal break. And then if I was ready to take calls, I would go into ready. If I was logging or doing paperwork, I would put that into the aux state. There were, like, 20. So everything you do... 
you just tell them exactly what you're doing and they can track your computer like i couldn't use my computer for anything but work oh really yeah and it was a big mac the big Pro, one yeah the desktop one um which was unfortunate because i didn't have a tv and i was like that'd be a great tv <laughs> but okay so it sounds like they were probably more productive than someone working in an office think that when people work from home that they don't do anything but like look at my mom she's worked from home for 25 30 years and she does more work than anyone I've ever seen in my life yeah. like she's constantly well, like, she's a Schmidt girl yeah, yeah. And like I'll get up, like if I get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom or something she, her light will be on and she'll be working at 4 a.m. like she's, she's crazy all the time she's insane so I just want my listeners to know that my work ethic it's not because I'm crazy. It's because it's in our family. I mean, would you agree? Yeah, you guys I have four all sisters, and we all work all the time. It's that good German. It's the good German stock. So the cool thing about that, though, all right, so I, I don't know, just big critique of both ends of the spectrum, then. Because mm -hmm. I absolutely agree that it's near impossible to get work done at home. You have the resources of the world's largest company, like literally creating a program that makes it foolproof to be productive the whole time you're working at home. Mm -hmm. But also they went like this step to make sure that you're in a work environment that's one probably like conducive to ergonomic standard standards, mm -hmm. but I'm sure they're also looking for things that just are inherently more productive of an environment. Yeah, and you, there were like, you couldn't have a certain amount of stuff on your desk, like it was supposed to be pretty much just your computer, like mouse, keyboard, and my boss could like video chat me at any time I was on shift, so he could say like, "Let me like show me your workspace or something." Make sure I'm not like screwing around. But it wasn't. Was it a a top heavy feeling of like? Not. It just it feels horizontal at that point. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, the employers that say, "Oh, nobody can be productive at home. They need to come and work in the office." They don't have an office set up like that at all. Don't look at my office. Yeah. No. So. <laughs> so. An employer that, like that that's like, oh, I don't trust my admin to work at home has a worse working environment at the office than the admin would have at home. And, like, you can be wrong on either side of this. I agree. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know if there's one side fits all, which ties back into the greater thing I wanted to say addressing what you said earlier. And I think that's, like, one of the things that millennials champion better than any other generation is that we're relatively accepting of... For for this example, different work styles. You know, um, I I have friends in my social circle that are probably going to be at minimum wage or around for quite a few years to come. And I got friends that have been making six figures since they graduated college. Um, the The spectrum's pretty wide there, but nobody really cares. Like it's if if we have the same interests, we have the same interests. We'll hang out. But if if it's because our work is different or I would be classified as a yuppie where you'd be classified as blue collar. I haven't heard the term yuppie in so long. That doesn't matter as much. Like if you like board games and I like board games, whatever, we'll get together. I agree. Like you and I. Yeah. Like, we're very different and yet we're not. So I, I would say that that's something that kind of seeps into all avenues of this where we can look at an argument like uh, remote work versus in office work and say, all right, there's merits to both. Mm -hmm. It is going to come down to judgment on both parties. Yeah, and like the person, like you can be unproductive in an office, just like you can be unproductive at home. I've I know. done both. Like, well, I've done I, both I, too. I, at the coffee shop I work at, sometimes like when it's slow, like I just kind of like we have tasks to do when it's slow, but sometimes I want to stand there. I've one hundred percent had days where between nine and five get virtually zero done, and then go to a Starbucks for three hours and get cranked yeah. all of my work done. Yeah, that was like my whole college experience. Because I would like meet friends between classes. We'd like hang out on campus. I wouldn't really like. 
I could get stuff done between classes, but I wasn't doing it. And then I would go home, and my roommate and I would, like, power through everything in two hours. Yeah. All right, number six and final. At the end of the day, they still have the same core desires. And I'm going to read this sentence to you because we find this a lot when people, people don't leave companies, people leave people. And I think about our real estate teams and things like that too. Um, it says, for, much, for as much as millennials appear different than older generations, at the core, their desires are similar. They want to feel valued and see value in their work. And I think that what we lose is that our people, uh, when we're trying to build a company or an organization or a rainmaker building a team, that the people that work for them don't feel valued in some ways. I'm curious, what would you say like your core values are in terms of like working and employment and all that? And then I want to know if mine are the same. My number one is integrity. My number two is impact. And my number three is abundance. You really had those ready. <laughs> yes. Thanks. Well, and I just did an exercise yesterday. We could, I don't have it with me, but um, Joel and I went to a couple's retreat and he and I each got to do our own. And our number one, we both had integrity, which was great. So what are yours? I think they're probably fairly similar. I don't have any like prepared. <laughs> oh, we'll do I don't know what mine are, okay. but okay. yeah. But yeah, like integrity is definitely important. And I think one way I see that when you're working like minimum wage jobs, especially is like, is everyone pulling their weight? Because, yes. like, if I'm, like, when I'm working in a coffee shop and if I'm, it's slow and I want to stand around, I'm not going to do that if the other person wants to get stuff done. I'm not going to leave them to do that by themselves. By themselves. But if we both want to take 10 minutes and just chill behind the counter, then that's fine. I think that's something. Yeah. Well, that's teamwork. True. And you mentioned, Karen, like, Europe earlier, like, where people work 30, 40 hours a week. And, like, all the happiest countries in the world are in Europe. It's not the United States. I know. It's not Japan where they, like, built special hotels for businessmen who can't go home at night because they work so late. Like, that's not the happiest place to be. So, yeah, like, I think it just, it doesn't seem appealing to work 60, 70 hours a week. I don't want to do that. I want to work a normal work week and be able to enjoy my my time with myself, my friends, my family, like, afterward. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, are, you do have Schmidt you. Yeah, and know. I do work a lot. Like, right now I've been working, like, probably 60 or 70 hours a week and but at various jobs. And that's really tiring. Like, I don't want to keep doing that. You hope you find something that is work that's just as fulfilling. Like, mm-hmm. if you think of, like, somebody like Warren Buffett's the one that comes to mind. Um, if you think of somebody like him retiring, he's not going to have a good time in retirement. No. Like, he likes to play the game on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, like, whatever it is that you're doing gives you that type of feeling. Right. What advice do you have? Because our average listener is my age, around my age. So what are some things that we need to know about millennials that we don't understand that might be funny, humorous, or not hashtag funny, not funny? Uh, Biggest one, we're not offended by like virtually anything, I want to say. Yeah. Like you can make bad jokes. Like we don't care. As long as you're not being like offensive. Yeah. I mean like don't like try, but like if you want to tell like a gross joke, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll laugh if it's funny. I think the sensitivity thing is really funny because, like, they say millennials are like snowflakes and, like, we react so highly to stuff. But I'm like, it's just reacting to stuff that's not funny to a lot of people. Like, if it's an offensive joke. But also then, like, older generations also then, they get offended by us saying, like, well, you only watch Fox News. And they're like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm like, that's such a minor thing to be offended by versus someone making, like, a racist joke. What do you think, um, 
the biggest questions that you and your peers have about millennials are? It's so funny. I've heard so many times about the news. Like, we don't believe anything that's on the news. We'll go figure it out ourselves about what the real story is. Like, um, I think the question is, what is it they want? Do they know how to communicate? Like, I know a millennial that didn't know how to address an envelope. And then but my, we don't communicate that way. I don't, but I'm like, is that a bad thing? So but that's just what I wanted way, to talk about. That's so, the same thing as asking an older person, like, do you know how to, like, rotate a PDF? Because a lot of them don't. So, so they're like, well, you can't address an envelope. I'm like, well, you can't send an email. So the issue I... I, mean, I don't know how to use one of those... Like, what are those things called? Morse code. Yeah, I don't know how to... Telegraph? Telegraph. So I do think communication evolved. But I used to get mad that I'm like, what do you mean you can't address an envelope? And think they were stupid, but they're not. So, so the issue I have with that is because you've grown up with the internet, at the very least, I was exposed to the internet, like probably as young as like 13 or so, at the very least you've had it for a while, you should know how to Google how to address an envelope. But would it also not then be on the parent to be like, hey, you might need to do this someday. Here's how to address an envelope. Like boomers like to complain about stuff and even Gen X, like they're like, you don't know how to do this. You don't know what this is. I'm like, but no one taught us. We had no need to learn it. And if you're not going to teach us something that is becoming very outdated, why would I go and learn it? Like, I know how to address an envelope. There's something so nice about a handwritten card. But not just cards, like other stuff. Like, there was a video that went viral like a year or two ago of a mom at a gas station with her daughter, and the daughter didn't know how to pump her own gas. And I was very sensitive to this because I live in Oregon, and we did not pump our own gas it's there. Illegal. Oh, yeah. And no, it's no, no, illegal. No, no. And it's, I don't know how to do it unless I'm here. I made Uncle Fred show me how to do it. This mom was like filming her daughter and the daughter like didn't know where to put the money and she was paying cash so she didn't know she had to go inside to pay cash. All this stuff. And this like she put it online and went viral and like it, I felt like that would be so humiliating for the girl. And she was 16. Like she just learned how to drive. She just got her license. I'm like, that's on the mom. Okay, that's you gotta a good teach perspective. Your kid. Okay, Joel and I got a phone call one day from Taylor. She's our middle stepdaughter. And she was born, my stepdaughter, Joel's daughter. She was born in 90... Nope. 96 or 97. 97. She's, she's my year in school, so yes. she's one of those. And she called us one day and she said, you know, I've been thinking about this. You should actually be funding my entire life. It really wasn't my decision to be born into this world. So actually, I find you responsible to fund my entire life moving forward because I didn't choose to be here. And I thought, oh my God. That is the ultimate millennial mindset. But what did you say in the car when you first told me that story? She was kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> she kind of has a point. How do I get the highest and best potential out of a millennial? What do I need to do to lead them? I think the biggest thing older generations have to realize is that someone raised us this way. Like, I'm not putting all the blame. Like, there's differences in our generation and our culture and the way we grew up that, like... It, that have kind of expressed themselves in a, you know, a generational personality in a way. But like the participation trophies, I'm like, someone gave them to us. We didn't ask for them. Some parent from Gen I X. I agree. I blame the parents Gen for that. Some Gen X parent was like, hey, we should give our kids participation trophies. Good job. And now they all like to complain about millennials getting participation trophies. Well, no, they, cl so, they claim that millennials are entitled. I'm like, no, we did that. Yeah. I agree. And I think that's like a big thing is I think people are like, oh my God, like how did they become this way? And like there's more of a connection there than people realize. And it's because, you know, Gen Xers were raised differently from boomers and, you know, so on and so forth. 
And so I think when people think about that, think about kind of the way those generations and their experiences have worked together, they created us. And now they must deal with us. Now they must deal now with us. Now they must deal with us. Okay, so you how You must do I, answer to our demands. How do I win with you? What do you want from me as a leader? Well, let's be real. Are you guys losing with us? Like, I don't know. No, I'm saying in general. Like, how do I win with that person? I'm so fine they, with Gen X. I have issues with, with the me. boomers. I, yeah, I'm fine. I'm Get along with Gen X. Actually, I yeah. almost get along with Gen X like most of the time, like an older sibling. Yeah. Like it just, That's how I feel. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just feels pretty normal. I feel the same way about Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because like one of, like Lauren, my youngest sister, is Gen Z. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Literally. Seriously. So yeah. Um, in my family, my oldest brother, more Gen X mm-hmm. than Boomer. In Anne's family, um, Anne is one of 10. So they're, they literally got a 20 year span. Oldest one's for sure, like, just scraping, barely qualifies as a Gen X. And then she's got a few that are Gen Z. And so, like, I have a pretty healthy perspective on, like, those three generations. It just, it feels yeah. natural to deal with those three generations. Yeah, but boomers are so far away, and I think, like, there are so many changes in, like, the, like politically, millennials are a lot more liberal. Like, there's so much different stuff in the way we, like, interact with the rest of the world. And so I think... Like, being recognizant of those differences is important, too. And, like, that millennials are not going to see everything the way you're going to see it. But that goes for any generation. Like, an older person is not going to see everything the way you see it, too. No, and and I grew up with older people going, oh, my God, kids these days. Yeah. And now I have become that. So those Geico commercials about you've become your parents. That's funny. Those are hilarious to me. And I was like, and they're 100% true. Oh, I say it, too. Like, when I'm nanny, I'm like, oh, these kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but they're not even mine. I'm complaining about them. I'm 23. Right. Yeah, I think I think honestly the biggest thing is what we have to do on the flip side when we're dealing with boomers is just recognize you were formed, like your opinions, your worldview formed mm-hmm. at two completely different times. Like boomers are coming out of World War One or World War Two, and for quite a stretch, things were growing. America was booming. We had yeah. we had a nice heyday. Most of us millennials like kind of came into consciousness as people were really starting to question the government, and then we've had the dot-com bust, and, and then also the housing market when we were like just starting to enter either college or the workforce, depending mm-hmm. on your age group. So like our natural outlook is a lot more dim than boomers. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have the same help, like the, the same perspective on... We don't feel the same security. Like, yeah. That, like eat literally social security, like that, kind of <laughs> stuff, like that kind of stuff, like looking in the future, like we don't know what it's going to look like, like... Is the climate going to destroy the planet before we're 65? It like, won't. It's going to get bad. It's going to get... Of course, it's declining, but... But, but like, but, that sort of thing. Like, it's a lot... I think that's a good point. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily cynicism or, like, realism, but that sort of, like... I feel like it... I feel we like don't your look generation out to, are the biggest cynics of anybody. Oh, yeah, I, would, I think it's that we don't look out to a golden age. Or, yeah. like, there's, like, maybe... Oh, a, maybe there will be, like, a bronze oh. age for us, maybe. But, like, the rest of you the are, like, oh... Years? You guys are all going to hit your golden years and we're going to be stuck cleaning up. Like yeah. It's, so, so Don't you feel like every generation says that about each well, other? I think less than like pointing blaming at other people or like anything like that. I think just like recognize that, okay, yeah, when I was learning how to fit a round, he- a round peg into a round hole, the world was doing pretty good. When this kid was learning how to fit a round he- peg into a round hole, things were going to crap. And that's why we're just naturally going to have different outlooks and have naturally okay. different solutions yeah. to things. Like, my first conscious memories are post-9-11. 
Oh. Like, I, I never, I don't remember ever living in, like, a pre-9-11, pre-Middle Eastern disaster world. I, yeah, like, my earliest memories are just before 9-11. Yeah. Like, my earliest memories are, um, my legit earliest memories are the Menards commercials, where you could put... Save big money, money at where Menards. You, where you could put 0% down and not make any payments till the year 2000, and, like, that just didn't make sense to me. Because like 99 to 2000, but you can go like 100 years without paying for your lawnmower. <laughs> but um, yeah, so like it's a short span. Huh. So I guess, I, yeah, because. So how do we teach, how do we lead or get, how do we get you to think hopeful or how do we earn your trust? How do we earn your trust? I think it just takes time for me at least. How like, do we earn your trust? I mean, yeah, yeah, like to show up. Do your job. Do what you say you're going to do. That would be the same. I think, like, don't make lofty promises would be something, too. Yeah. Like, don't be like, this is going to be your dream job. Like, you're going to love it to a millennial. Because they're going to be like, no, I won't. It's not. No, maybe that's your dream job, but it's not my dream job. Yeah. I do think. I think explaining things as realistically as possible, at least for me, like, I think that's a better way to go. Because then I know, like, what the expectations are. And then if they exceed it, great. I'm expecting them not to. But, you know. Here we are hoping. Like level with bit. you. Yeah. I do appreciate a lot about the next generation is the individuality that I didn't get growing up. Oh my God. And Gen Z to even such an extreme <laughs> yeah, is crazy. Seriously. Like Lauren, my sister and her friends, because Lauren's 17, about to be 18. They're all so different. And like they all have such their own like very distinct, very strong sense of self, which I don't think I had at 17. Yes. Yeah. I was like... It, when I was 17, like, we all straightened our hair and wore, like, high school sweatshirts every day because we wanted to, like, be cool and blend in. And they're like, nope, we're not going to do that. Any suggestions for our next episode? Tell us on Instagram at The Messy Empire. Thank you for listening to The Messy Empire with Karen Prawl.